There's nowhere else that I'd rather be Than dancing with you as you sing over me There's nothing else that I'd rather do Lord, than to worship you So rejoice, be glad, rejoice, O my soul For the Lord, your God, He reigns forevermore I rejoice for my God reigns So rejoice, be glad, your Father and your friend Is the Lord, your God Whose rule will never end, I rejoice. For my God reigns, my God reigns. And I dance the dance of praise, my God reigns. With a shout I will proclaim, my God Hey, good morning, everybody. We are glad you're here. Happy Sunday morning to you. Glad you've made it to our worship time together. There's people still coming in. So as they are, let's begin singing together. I will call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised and so shall I Save from my enemies. You know the Lord liveth, and 
blessed be the rock, and let the God of my salvation be exalted. The Lord liveth, and blessed be the rock, and let the God of my salvation be exalted. Jesus Christ, he died for me, and he took away my sin, and I will live with him for eternity. You know the Lord liveth, and blessed be the rock, and let the God of my salvation be exalted. Good morning. I'm so glad that you're here today. My name is Kelly Davidson, and I'm one of the ministers here. And we, if you're visiting with us today, we are really, really glad that you're here because so many of our members are traveling right now, and so you are a great blessing to us. I hope that you'll be able to stay around a little bit, let us get to know you, because we're really glad that you're here. I want to give a little bit of uh, update on some of the things going on in our church ministry. And first of all, I just wanted to say that uh, if you want to keep up with all that's going on, it's really easy. You can get the church app on your phone, and there's some who, a lot of times I've had people come and say, I wish we had the church bulletin. You remember when we got the church bulletin? Well, if you've got a phone, you really have the church bulletin with you. And so if you need to find out ways to have that access, just go to the Welcome Center and we can uh, have some people there to help you get set up with the uh, church app. So real quickly, tonight is Breakthrough and it's going to be at uh, 6 p.m. tonight. And just make note, it's going to be in the chapel tonight. So Breakthrough tonight. Also, this is our week for Family Promise, and so if you are able to help with delivering some meals, um, maybe even staying as an overnight host, then there's a table in the back, and I know that uh, you can find out more information and sign up there. Also, coming up very soon is the beginning of the semester, and with that is SOAR. SOAR is our new student uh, welcome conference. Uh, it's, it's a retreat that uh, takes place in a campsite not too far from here. It's going to be August 26th through 28th for anyone that's coming in to uh, begin studies at Texas A&M or Blinn as an undergraduate or even as a graduate student. And so we are would love to let you know more about how you can get registered for this. Um, there's more information back in the Welcome Center if you'd like to find out more about SOAR. But that's coming up. If you know of anyone coming, make sure you give this information to them as well. Also, the iHouse Market is still needing some items, and there's a tear in the foyer that are still needed, and so make sure that if you are willing to help that you would be able to go and find uh, more information about that. And then also the Upside Down Caring Ministry is uh, looking for people who would be willing to help. Steve Smith right up here is... Uh, Going, it would love to visit with you. Where are you going to be, Steve, after? You're going to be in the foyer afterwards? It's going to be at the Welcome Center. So if you are interested in helping our church reach out to the community uh, with needs, uh, I know that Steve would love to meet with you. 
Well, we want to make one more announcement that's exciting, and that's about a baptism, and so I'm going to give the mic back to Monty. All right, thank you. So uh, on July 3rd, a little bit earlier this month, Abby Cassanda was baptized, and so we want to celebrate that with her. In, sorry, not Abby. Zoe was baptized, so I messed that up. Where's Zoe at? Are you here this morning around? Back there. Okay, back there. Yeah, so wave to everybody. Congratulations. We're so excited for you. So that's a picture of the group. That's a picture of her great-grandpa um, baptizing her. So such a special time. We celebrate that um, with the Cassandra family. And uh, yeah, so if you know um, Zoe, if you know her family, please congratulate her um, with that. So all right. I'm feeling like, you know, it's kind of middle of summer. You come to church, like it's hot outside, it's cool inside, thank goodness, but I just want to say hi to some people around me, and so we're going to let you do that. So if you don't mind, take a moment, just say a quick hello to those around you, uh, a quick howdy, a high five, a hug, a hello, whatever, and then we'll begin our time of worship together. Hello, hello, hello. All right, thank you so much. Hey, please stand with me as we begin our time of worship together this morning. These words from Psalm 118. This is the day that the Lord has made. Let's do it one more time for everybody else. This is the day that the Lord has made. Let's do that. Let's sing and worship songs together. Lord, the light of your love is shining in the midst of the darkness shining. Jesus, light of the world, shine upon us. Set us free by the truth you now bring us. Shine on me and shine on me and shine, Jesus, shine. Father's glory blaze, spirit blaze, and set our hearts on fire. Flow, river, flow, flood the nations with grace and mercy. Send forth your word, Lord, and let there be light. Lord, I come to your awesome presence from the shadows and to by the blood I may enter your brightness. Search me, try me, consume all my darkness. Shine on me. Shine on me. And shine, Jesus, shine. Come on, church. Oh. 
Though troubles linger still, 
So if you have your communion, go ahead and take that. I'm going to share some thoughts with us this morning. Uh, Dean has done a good job saying this, that uh, on some Sundays we're just doing communion a little bit differently. So he is sharing some communion thoughts at the end of um, sermons on some weeks. Other weeks they've asked me to share communion thoughts and have our communion time as a part of just our our worship and our praise. And so this morning I want to do that. So if you have a Bible, uh, turn to Ephesians chapter 4. We're going to spend a moment there looking at something I want to show you that I just I love. It's great. So Ephesians 4, give you a second to get there. So when you get there, look specifically at verse 4. We're going to spend time in all these first, I guess, about six verses or so. But verse 4 says this. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all. And in all. And there's a word there that keeps popping up over and over again. Did you notice any word there? What? Well, yeah, okay. If you didn't get the word one, then talk to me after, after worship. We'll talk a little bit. But yeah, there is one body and one spirit. You're called to one hope when you are called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all. And so this morning as we think about this time that so many of us have come together so many times, literally you may have sat through 
um, worship times and hundreds of times in communion, maybe a thousand times that you've set through a time of communion. You've come to this time and someone has maybe said some things, shared some thoughts. And if you're like me, there have been times when you have been so focused on the Lord and, and the things that in that moment that were being taught, that were being read, the scriptures you were hearing, the time you were spending with the God, your own prayers were so focused. And there's other times that I come and I walk away from communion and I'm like, I don't, I, I didn't take that anywhere near as serious as I should have taken it. So today I want to just remind us about the one God that we all worship. And for every time that you have ever sat through a communion service, whether you've been on your own by yourself or you've been with a church family, maybe it's just been your own family, you've been away somewhere and it's been your family, maybe a unique group of people on a, a trip or something like that. Every time you've ever sat through communion, you've participated in communion, you've shared the bread and the cup, it's all been because of our one God and Father. It's all because of the Lord Jesus Christ and his death on the cross and his resurrection from the dead that we can come together and celebrate this. It is all because of Jesus that that you and I have life today. And we can look at the world around us and look at the things, say, I'm not, I'm not you know, doing as well as I want to in some area. My health is not as good as I want to. I'm not exercising enough. I'm not consistent enough. I'm not great enough with my family. I'm not you know, making as much money as I could at work. or Whatever it is that we can look at in this world and think, I wish there was more. With God, we're always his children. And his love for us never changes. His love for you is never going to fail. So this week, I was so blessed um, to get to spend some time with a lot of our high school students at a children's home in Moralton, Arkansas. And it's one that our church knows well because the AFC, first ever AFC trip, points back to that children's home in Moralton, Arkansas. And I'll show you some pictures on a video here in a second that you'll see. But for now, I just want you to know that, that we were there. And so as we spent time with these kids at this children's home, with the staff and the house parents that are just incredible people that have, that have given up part of their life just to love other people in the name of Jesus Christ. Um, it was such a week of encouragement. It was such a week of joy. It was such a week of hard work and sweat that was absolutely fantastic in all of the most wonderful ways. And yet as I think about that, I think about all the experiences that I had this week, and I think about this morning that, that they are in their church worshiping and sharing this time of communion to the exact same God that we share this time of communion with as well. And there's probably some churches you've grown up in or maybe that you have been to in the past, um, maybe churches that have a special place in your heart, maybe somewhere in Texas or outside of Texas, that they're sharing communion together with the exact same God that we are sharing communion with. And so as we, as one body, as brothers and sisters in Christ, as you look around this room, you may not have, um, you know, you may look here and say, I don't know very many people or, or, or maybe I love these people or this is great, whatever it is, that we're all here as a church family together. And whether it be in this moment right now or the, the people that are here next week or if you're at a different church next week that we share communion together, it's this one remembrance that we have of coming together and God says, remember what Jesus has done for you. And so as we celebrate communion together and whether you think about the times, the, the hundreds of times, maybe thousands of times that you've shared communion at a church here or far away from here, as you think about other people this morning that you love and that you care about that are sharing communion in their own churches where they are, as you think about the upcoming weeks, the upcoming months, the upcoming years that we will continue week after week to be reminded of the incredible gift of Jesus Christ on the cross as we share this communion time together. May your heart go back to that cross and may your heart go back to the love of a father who cares so much for us that he would give his son. Thanks be to God for Jesus Christ.
So let's pray. I'm going to pray one prayer, and then after that, we'll sing a little bit. And just at any time that you're ready after that, go ahead and and take your communion um, and spend this time together as one body and together with the Lord. Father, so thankful to who, uh, for who you are, and so thankful to you for your love for us and your great compassion and mercy on us. God, help our lives to not be lived in ways that um, that don't glorify you, but help us instead in, in the things that we do, in the ways we live. Help us to be consistent in our relationship with you, consistent in our lives, and God, help us to remember the incredible um, grace that you've shown us through Jesus Christ dying on the cross. Um, so God, we have life because of him. And um, we recognize that this morning. And so as we share this time of communion, God, take our hearts back to the cross, but take our hearts also to the resurrection. And take our hearts to the, um, the, the fact that Jesus is alive today. And God, that your spirit is with us. And we love you and we praise you because of that. So God, please hear our prayer. And please be with us in this time of communion. It's through Jesus that I pray. Amen. Wonderful, merciful Savior, precious Redeemer and friend, who would have thought that a lamb could rescue the souls of men? Oh, you rescue the souls of men. Counselor, comforter, keeper, spirit we long to embrace. You offer hope when our hearts have hopelessly lost the way. Oh, we've hopelessly lost the way. You are the one that we pray. You are the one we adore. You give the healing and grace our hearts always hunger for. Oh, our hearts always hunger for. Almighty, infinite Father, faithfully loving your own. Here in our weakness you find us falling before your throne. Oh, we're falling before your throne. And you are the one that we praise. You are the one we adore. You give the healing and grace our hearts always hunger for. Oh, our hearts always hunger for. So if you still have your Bible, or if you never got out the first time, back to Ephesians 4. If you don't have one, yours, look on with someone near you. I'll read some things, but again, it's also... Um, so good just to read it. So here's what Paul writes in Ephesians 4. This is verse 1. He says, as a prisoner for the Lord, again, Paul's in in prison, he's writing this, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you've received. 
as he talks about this life that we live, is that live a life worthy of the calling you've received. So not this life of Christianity on Sunday only, not this life of a, a mediocre relationship with God, a life that's worthy of the calling, and the calling you've received is the calling of Jesus Christ and his love for us. So live a life worthy of the calling you received. And he starts telling us how to be with each other. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient. Bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Notice he didn't say make every effort to make unity of the Spirit. He just says keep it. Like Jesus has given us the, 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 the bond of peace. The unity of the Spirit is from God. It's not from us. But we can keep that. Because verse 4, there is one body and one Spirit. Just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Um, we get mixed up about that number one sometime. I don't think we get mixed up about the one God. But the one body we do, we, we tend to think that our way is the best way and everybody else is wrong about that. We tend to not seek unity the way that God calls us to. We tend to not seek peace the way God calls us to. And yet, he calls to those things and he gives us the reason why. Because he is one God. He is one Father over all and above all and in all and through all. And so this morning, that's the God that we worship. That's the God that we praise. That's the God who sent his son to the cross to die for your sins and mine. Let's sing one more song remembering that and continuing. If you just need to listen to this and pray through this, that's fine. But let's just spend this moment continuing to worship God. Jesus is Lord, my Redeemer, how he loves me. So in a few minutes, um, I'm excited that Zach Carsons is here with us to come and speak to us. Uh, many of you know Zach, but if you don't, just know that Zach um, is 
a guy that we love. Um, he grew up at this church, and he comes back occasionally and preaches and shares and opens God's Word to us, and we're so thankful that he's here today and next week as well, and you're going to be so encouraged by the Word today. So as we start to prepare our hearts for that, I want to tell you a few things. One is that um, in just a moment, it, our kids can come down and give their offering and um, in, in this bucket, and then they can be dismissed to go to three-time and four-time. There is no kids' praise for the summer, um, but three-time and four-time are available to any kids that want to do that. Also, let you know that if you'd like to make an offering, you can do so um, through the church app on the website or in the boxes in the foyer. So I told you that last week we spent some time, um, some of the high school students um, in Moralton, Arkansas at Southern Christian Children's Home. And so we wanted to share some pictures with you because we can talk about it, but to see the faces of some of these kids that we spent this week with and see some of the incredible work that our students did, um, I got to tell you, like our students just killed it. They were amazing. They were incredible. You, you can be so proud of our students and the way they represented Jesus um, this week and what they did and the work they did. Uh, it was hot there like it is here, and we sweated and just kept on going. It was incredible. So these are some pictures from that. So kids, come on and give your offering at the front if you'd like to do so, and watch this video. Somebody who loves you is waiting at the 
Like Monty said, my name is Zach, and I grew up in this church, and a lot of you probably remember when I was one of those little seventh graders throwing water balloons or playing Foursquare outside while everyone was trying to walk through the hallway. <laughs> it's so good coming back. Trips like that just shaped so much of my life and my faith, and I'm so grateful to this church supporting this youth group, and especially to Monty for all the work he puts into trips like that. I can't even tell you how, much, how many good memories I have and relationships I still have because of trips like that. So... Thank you for myself and for the youth group and for what you do for them. And for, for that reason and for so many more reasons, it's so good to be back. It's just always so good to be back here with you. It feels like coming home. I've gotten my fair share of bad advice in my life. I'm sure you've gotten bad advice too, especially if, like me, you are a younger sibling. <laughs> Here's some of the bad advice that I've got. I won't name the sources. You should dye your hair while you're at summer camp. It'll be funny. Dye it blue. If you're dyeing your hair, you should also dye your eyebrows so they match. <laughs> Driving on ice is exactly the same, you just drive slow. You should spread that green stuff all over your sushi. It's delicious. <laughs> Let me tell you the worst advice I ever got in my life. It was during the first week of college. Somebody told me this. They said, sleep is for the weak. And I believed it. I thought, well, I don't want to be weak. So I didn't sleep, literally, at all. The whole first year of college, I stayed up all night at least once a week, usually more than once a week. I slept like four hours a night because I didn't want to be weak. And so I was around the dorm. I knew everybody. I was staying up. And I was exhausted. Some weekends, I'd sleep till dinner on Saturday just to catch up. But generally, I was just a worn-out coffee machine. And I was proud of myself because I wasn't weak. Listen, here's the truth. That's not true. Here's the truth. Sleep is for the smart and the healthy. <laughs> Sleep is for every single human being because it's literally necessary to stay alive. Okay, glad we cleared that up. Well, guess what? Just like about every single college student these days, I faced a lot of anxiety during those four years in college and depression as well. <clears throat> I'd mope around I'd freak out a lot, kind of alternate between those two extremes, and then I would stay up all night and eat Taco Bell and drive through Whataburger for breakfast in the middle of the night, like you do. And when I felt terrible, guess who I would blame? Well, God, of course, he made me this way. <laughs> Why did God make me so anxious and depressed? That's what I kept wondering. And if I could time travel back and talk to college-age Zach, I wouldn't give him any deep life advice. I would give him a hug, and I would take him by the shoulders, and I would say, you need to take a nap and eat a salad. You'll be fine. <laughs> to all the students here today, college, y'all over here, y'all over here, take a nap, eat a salad, you will be fine. You'll be okay. For, for some of us, anxiety is that simple. For all of us, our anxiety would probably go down a couple notches with a few simple fixes like that. Pay attention to what you eat and how much you sleep. But for a lot of us, it's not that simple. For a lot of us, the anxiety you carried in here with you this morning is like a backpack full of bricks that you cannot take off and you cannot set down. And you carry it with you everywhere you go every day. 
It doesn't matter how much chamomile, lavender-infused tea you sip. It doesn't matter how many essential oils you sniff. You keep waking up in the middle of the night, and you're anxious. And maybe on paper, everything is fine in your life, and you can't even point to what it is that's wrong, but your body keeps telling you that you're in danger with all these signals and warnings. You're running along, or maybe you're crawling along on the anxiety treadmill. You're burning your energy, and you're getting nowhere. You're coping with today by stealing from tomorrow. The National Institute of Mental Health has said that anxiety disorders are at an all-time high. They affect about one in five U.S. adults, over 40 million people. Anti-anxiety medication is now prescribed more, on, more often on college campuses than birth control. This morning, no matter where you or where the people you love fall on the spectrum of anxiety, because it is a spectrum, I want to tell you this loud and clear, first and foremost, anxiety is not your identity, and anxiety is not God's plan for your life. Anxiety is an alarm system for your body. The alarms go off to warn you that you need to get ready to fight or run or hide. Does those feelings sound familiar, those sort of looping intrusive thoughts where your head can't settle down? Random fear that doesn't seem to be coming from anywhere, edginess, physical symptoms like you're under attack when all you're doing is sitting there on your phone. Sometimes anxiety does come from a real chemical imbalance in your brain. Your alarm is actually calibrated too loud, and so you need medical treatment to lower the volume a little bit. But regardless, it's still an alarm. It's not an identity, and it's not an excuse to give up. So many of us here today are fighting with anxiety, and the way we're fighting is by trying to silence that alarm so that we can avoid the pain or the discomfort of that alarm. And when we do, you're just like me when I was in college, draining my fifth cup of coffee and trying to trick my jittery zombie body into thinking that I was awake when I wasn't. We're trying to disable the smoke alarm instead of actually putting out the fires in our lives. Anxiety is not the problem, it's the symptom. Now, whatever your anxiety experience currently is or has been, the Bible is clear. The alarm can be warning you of real danger, okay? It's, the Bible is clear about who you are, okay? You're an entire soul. You're an entire ecosystem. We'll talk about that. And you can face real danger. God built this alarm for you to warn you. Sometimes the alarm is going off because you're in danger because you need sleep. Take a nap. Sometimes it's going off because you're in danger. You need to eat real food, Maybe it's going off because you're too busy, you're stretched too thin, you're disconnected. Maybe you have deeper wounds, traumas, and fears that you're avoiding and you need to turn around and face them. And so this alarm that's ringing is trying to tell you something, something vital. Sometimes it feels like this alarm is just coming from all directions, though, and it's hard to pinpoint what the danger might be or if the danger even exists at all. Think about it like this, okay? You're... So often today we use imagery to describe our brains like they're computers. Have you noticed this? That's just how I'm wired. That's just my circuitry, right? Pushing my buttons, flipping my switches. Listen, you're not a computer. Your brain doesn't work at all like a computer. Your brain is an entire ecosystem, okay? Think about it like an ecosystem. What you are is the incalculable combination of billions of influences, 
internal and external, your genetics and your experiences, nature and nurture, over and through this entire ecosystem that is your life, that is all you all the time, it's constantly changing, you have this thing called your soul, which is inseparable from everything that is you. And so anxiety is not a switch that you need to just turn off, it's an imbalance in your entire ecosystem, a disruption that just like everything else in your life has a spiritual dimension. Even if we can track anxiety with lights on an MRI machine, the Bible says that worry and fear and anxiety are spiritual battlefields, not chemical inevitabilities. Okay, I know that's a lot. Maybe it's making you feel a little bit anxious just hearing me say all of this. What I want to do is take a deep breath and go to God's word together. I just took a deep breath. Take a, actually, take a deep breath here. Okay. Philippians chapter 4, okay? These sentences that we're about to read together are the word of God. And I pray that these sentences from God would take root in your heart today and that you would let them change your life because they have the power to do that for you today. starting in verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again. Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. The words of God. It's a short passage today. We're going to take this sentence by sentence and work our way through it. And like I said, I completely believe this paragraph can change your life if you will let it. Let's take it from the top. Look back at verse 4, uh, verse four and 5. Paul says, Rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again. Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Now, when I read this, it's okay to react honestly to the Bible when you read it. When I read this, sometimes I get this feeling like, that's all well and good for you back in the day, but Paul, you clearly never anticipated what America is going to be like in the 2020s. Rejoice always? And you have to radiate this evident gentleness to everybody? Are you serious? Paul was never on Twitter. Paul never watched Fox News or CNN. How am I supposed to rejoice, Paul, at three in the morning when I'm tossing and turning night after night? How am I supposed to rejoice when I'm shaking in traffic or when I'm positive that this time when my phone rings, it's going to be the worst news imaginable? In the next three sentences, Paul is going to give you the answer. But remember this as we read. Remember this. The Philippians who Paul was writing to the recipients of this letter that we're reading, the Philippians were real human beings. They actually existed. They had real human DNA and real human souls. The Philippians who Paul was writing this letter to, they had rebellious teenage kids. They had stubborn aging parents. They dealt with unexpected disease, years of infertility, relationships that broke their hearts. These Philippians laid awake at night worrying about their unstable economy. 
and their unjust government. Their church family in Philippi was splitting over infighting, and their theology was unsettled and confusing. God didn't give us some letter that dropped out of the sky, and he didn't give these words to some out-of-date people we can't relate to. God, in his wisdom, inspired a letter written by a real human to other real humans. And listen to what God wanted these anxious Philippians to know 2,000 years ago and what applies just as much to us anxious humans today. Do not be anxious about anything. But in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. Some of you who are here this morning who came in carrying that backpack full of bricks, that anxiety that you can't put down, when you hear a sentence like this, it makes you roll your eyes. I want to tell you that that's okay. It doesn't make it less true, but you need to react. It's okay. Don't be anxious about anything. Seriously? How can that be remotely helpful? It's like telling somebody who says they can't sleep, well, just lay down and fall asleep. Just fall asleep. You can't do it and telling somebody don't be anxious doesn't necessarily mean that they're going to be able to flip a switch and be less anxious. Look, it's okay to react honestly against the challenges that we read in God's word. But if you believe that this book is true, you have to take a deep breath and let these words hit you as hard as God needs them to hit you. The Bible couldn't be more clear with this. It's not advice. It's a command. Do not be anxious about anything. Now, I want to say, just as an aside, if you're thinking about something else, if you're thinking about worrying and saying, well, worrying is different. Worrying can be beneficial. Sometimes I worry about things and it helps me protect myself. Next week, we're going to talk about worrying. Worrying is a little bit different. Jesus talks a lot about it in Matthew 6. That's where we'll be next week. So if you find yourself worrying a lot, tune in next week. Or if you can't be here, log on next week. We're going to talk about worry. This week, what we're talking about is different. It's that anxiety, that feeling, those alarms that we've been talking about. And the Bible is clear. There's no call to be anxious for you about anything. So if you're saying, well, thanks for that, I'd love to just push the button in my head that turns off the anxiety. Where's the anxiety switch? Tell me where it is and I'll flip it. Paul gives you the answer right after the word but in this sentence. And if you're looking for a switch, I've got bad news for you. You can roll your eyes if you have to, but open your ears and listen to the only true way to end your anxiety. This is how it works. In every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. The world rejects that answer. Our flesh dreads this answer. Our culture mocks and ridicules this answer. Just pray about it? Give it to God? Seriously? How is that actually going to fix anything in the real world? Well, back up and look at this sentence. Start at the beginning and stop at the butt, okay? And think about this. How would America, how would our culture today finish this sentence instead of God? Do not be anxious about anything but have another drink. Do not be anxious about anything but watch another episode. Do not be anxious about anything but open up your app of choice and start scrolling until you feel something else or don't feel anything. Or how about this one? Let's go ahead and address what might be the elephant in the room, which a lot of us probably think of. Do not be anxious about anything, but take this pill and it'll make you feel better. I want to pause and talk about this for just a minute. And I want to be careful because I'm not a doctor, I'm not a professional therapist, and if you're on anxiety, med anti-anxiety medicine or if you're considering taking medicine, I'm not advising you about that either way. I have nothing to say about whether or not you should take medicine for anxiety. But hear this. 
whether or not you need medication for your anxiety, you definitely need God for your anxiety. We're learning more and more in recent years about America's unfolding mental health disaster, especially as it affects young people. And it's heartbreaking. And it's very real. And I'm not here this morning to diagnose it or scientifically analyze it. All I'm saying is there is a reason that anxiety rates are rising even as anti-anxiety medicine prescriptions are rising. And I can't talk about anxiety without telling you a really hard truth this morning. In America today, we are trying to treat a deadly spiritual sickness with temporary physical medicine, and it's not working. We are trying to fix broken hearts with band-aids, and it's not working. The Bible says the fix for anxiety is praying to God with thanksgiving and presenting our request to him. But there is a multi-billion dollar industry partnering with your natural desire for quick fixes that's trying to convince you that that's not true. And as mental health medication skyrockets, mental health disorders skyrocket. Science textbooks break down human beings and our brains and our hearts into neat diagrams with clean divisions, but a soul is not located in any one lobe of your brain or any one atrium of your heart. When we believe the lie that our heads are just computers, that we're slaves to our chemistry and our circumstances full of circuits and switches, we abdicate responsibility for our souls to doctors and pharma companies and government agencies that are playing whack-a-mole with brain chemistry we barely understand instead of facing the problems in our lives. We're trying to disable the smoke detectors instead of putting out the fires. God's word says we cannot give up on ourselves so easily. Now let me repeat this. You may need medication for your anxiety. I'm not saying anything either way. But whether or not you need medication for your anxiety, you definitely need God for your anxiety. You may need other non-spiritual ways to help you fight this too. Like I said, I wish I could go back into college Zach and tell him to take a nap and eat a salad. There are plenty of ways that you can reduce and fight anxiety. One of them is food. Eating a lot of fake food, processed food, sugar, alcohol, caffeine, that affects your hormones, it affects your sleep, it's an easy fix. Get on a diet schedule, get on an exercise schedule, get on medicine if you need to. I'm not saying doing any of these external, non-spiritual things is sinning. Sometimes it's just simply applying the wisdom that God gave you to your circumstances. But you're responsible to God for what you put in your body and the way you treat your body and why you choose to do that. And especially if you're making those decisions for your kids, it's the same thing. So make an informed decision. Have a plan about what you're doing. And remember that even if medicine or anything else is helping your mind, in the end, what God is concerned with is the part of you that medicine and science can't touch, the part of you that he died to save. He's concerned about your soul. And Paul gives us the only way forward. And it's frustrating. Prayer frustrates me sometimes. I need to be honest. Prayer frustrates me. Maybe it frustrates you too because it makes me feel helpless. When I pray to God and ask him for help with something, it's like I have to admit out loud to somebody that I'm helpless, that I can't do anything. And it's frustrating. It makes me feel like I'm giving up control. And the more I read this sentence, the more I started to realize, I think that's exactly the point. See, why would God command us to ask him to remove our anxiety? Does that occur to you? Why does he tell you to ask him? 
He says, present your request to me to help you with anxiety and then I'll do it. Well, if you have the power to do it and you want it gone, why don't you just do it? Why do you have to have me ask you to do it? Why don't you just relieve me of my anxiety and cut out the middleman? It has to do with control. The asking is the removing. When you ask for help, what that signifies is that you're relinquishing control. When you ask anybody for help with anything, what you're admitting out loud is, I can't do this thing by myself. I don't have complete control over this situation. I want something. It's impossible for me to get it. I need help. I don't have control. How much of your anxiety is caused by things you can't control? Well, I'll tell you a few things that make me anxious. See if you can identify with this. You have zero control over the economy. You have zero control over who wins the next elections. You have no control over COVID. You have no control over the war in Ukraine. And you have no control over other people. Did you know that? You have no control over how other people think, act, or believe. The choices your children are making, your aging parents' mentality, you can't control that. You can't control anybody. You can't control your coworkers or your boss. You can't control the other cars on the road. You can't control whether you get laid off. You can't control whether that person will ever change. So much of our anxiety is rooted in things over which we have absolutely zero control. That lack of control is what makes us feel anxious. When you can't control something, you feel like something else is controlling you. Is it going to be God or will it be something else? By presenting your anxiety to God, you admit to yourself that you're giving up your need for control over the world. Paul doesn't just tell you to pray. Look, he gives you a specific type of prayer. He says prayer and petition. Petition means to ask for something. He's saying go to God and ask God for help. Admit to him that you're giving up your need to control. That's the end of anxiety, is the end of control. Fortunately for us, we worship and we pray to a God who knows exactly what it's like to give up control and exactly how hard that is. I'll read it for you, but if you have your Bible open, flip back to chapter 2 of Philippians. I don't care how many times you've heard this. Listen to this. Chapter 2, earlier in this letter, Paul describes Jesus Christ. Listen to this description of Jesus. He says, Your attitude should be the same as that of Jesus Christ, who, though he was in his very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. Talk about giving up control. God emptying himself, being a servant, becoming a man. And look what it says. Being found in human form, Jesus humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. That's why in chapter 4, Paul can say, you need help giving up control over your anxieties, and you've got the perfect person you can ask. He gave up control of the entire universe. He did it to help you. He can help you do the same thing. If you're feeling anxiety, how much are you praying about it? How much are you giving it to God? I'm not talking about half-mumbled prayers as you fall asleep. I'm not talking about a quick cry for help when the panic starts to close in. What I'm talking about is, are you diligently setting aside time specifically to pray to God to help with your anxiety? In other words, are you following the commands of the Bible or not? What would it look like if you took 10 minutes every day this week? Every morning or every lunch break or before bed or something, set aside that time and the only thing you do during that time is pray to God about the big and the small anxieties in your life. 
If you won't try that, do you believe that he can help you? Do you believe that this verse is true? Do you believe in God's power over your anxiety? Or is that where he's finally met his match? Do you want to get well from this? Or has it become a strange idol for you? If prayer doesn't feel like an answer to your problems, have you given it a try or not? Now, we've talked about the command almost every time in the Bible. When you come across a command, it's followed by a promise. Listen to the promise of what's available. This will help you. uh, Look in verse 7. This will help you pray to God about your anxiety if you understand what is being offered to you. Look at verse 7. The peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. This is the only passage in the Bible where we're promised not peace from God or not peace because of God, but the actual peace of God himself. Can you imagine what the peace of God looks like, the peace that God himself feels? The peace of God is like the tiny fragile flowers waiting on unexplored mountaintops that nobody ever sees. The peace of God is like the vast silence blanketing the light years between galaxies. The peace of God is the perfect tranquility of a grain of sand resting on the ocean floor. Can you imagine trading your anxiety for that? If your anxiety is something that goes beyond what you can even understand, take heart. The peace of God transcends your understanding too. If you want to beat something transcendent, you're going to need something else that is transcendent. In John 14, Jesus tells his disciples, uh, John 14, 27, Jesus says, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. I don't give to you as the world gives. Jesus said he was leaving us his peace, not the way the world gives. What kind of peace does the world claim to give? What kind of peace have you been offered by the world? I'll tell you what I've heard, absence of pain, absence of fear, absence of danger, taking away all those things. Aren't you glad that Jesus said, I'm not giving you peace like that? You'd have to leave this world for that kind of peace. This world is full of danger and pain and fear that you can't escape. No, Jesus gives us something better, the peace of God. He says, I'm not going to remove you from the troubles of this world. Even better, I'm going to walk with you through the troubles of this world. And as we do this together, you will bear witness to your children, to your coworkers, to your friends, that by my power, tragedy and stress and pain are not the end. The peace of this world, that's your Instagram envy scrolling. It's your late night Netflix binging. It's your Facebook arguing, it's your porn addiction, it's your status symbol vacation, your noise, your idols, your ego. Do you hear? The peace of this world is all about you. Jesus says, I don't give peace like the world gives, temporary, artificial peace that blows away like smoke in the wind. The peace of God doesn't try to escape or fix our broken, messy world. It walks right in and encompasses the whole thing. And in the midst of that chaos, Paul says it stands guard. Do you see that word guard? It stands guard over your hearts and your minds. Picture your mind like a camp at night and the peace of God is standing guard around it, protecting you, holding back the darkness so you can finally sleep softly. Do you believe that peace could be yours, that you could have it right now? All you have to exchange is your anxiety and your stress and give it to him by prayer and petition. Wouldn't that be the greatest exchange of your life? Isn't that the greatest exchange you could ever be offered? Your meaningless anxiety for the transcendent peace of God? That's what the gospel has always been about, exchange. The gospel is about exchanging old law for new love, guilt for hope, death for life. And today, you're being offered an exchange of anxiety for peace. To show the power of exchange, I want to do a thought experiment with you. This is the interactive part of the sermon, but it's easy, I promise. 
This is, everyone has to participate. Okay, quick thought experiment. Close your eyes. Close your eyes and picture a spider. A big, mean, ugly spider, okay? And it's crawling slowly towards you. Now when I count to three, stop. You got it, you got the spider? When I count to three, stop thinking about the spider. Ready? One, two, three. Okay, open your eyes. Who was still thinking about the spider? I'm sorry I made you do that. Everybody's like, yeah, seriously, that was creepy. Okay. (laughs) We're going to do it one more time. You'll like this better, I promise. This is worth it, okay? Close your eyes again. Now, visualize the spider. Big, ugly spider crawling slowly towards you. Really think about this. Visualize it. Now, when I count to three, I want you to picture a day at the beach with the people you love most in the world. One, two, three. Hear the waves, feel the sand between your toes. Okay, open your eyes. Who's still thinking about the spider? Did it go away? Some people are like, yeah, seriously, that was horrible. I'm sorry if you hate the spiders. Um, I get it. But the rest of us, we're on the beach, right? (laughs) We're on the beach, we hear the waves, we feel the sand. Listen, you cannot make yourself quit thinking anxious thoughts, but you can exchange them for something new. When I said quit thinking about the spider and you're in your head, you're thinking, quit thinking about the spider, quit thinking about the spider. What are you saying over and over? Spider, spider, right? (laughs) That's drawing it right back into your mind. You can't quit thinking about something by white knuckling it and saying, don't think about my anxiety. It doesn't work. You know what does work? Take your mind somewhere else. Let's go to the beach. Let's go with the people we love. Let's do something fun. All of a sudden, you've left that spider behind. Now, I won't make you do this, but imagine if we did that exercise again, but instead of something silly, it was very serious. Imagine if you close your eyes and you think about all of your worst anxieties coming true. You hear that diagnosis. You lose your job. You wake up to a text message that somebody you love was in a car accident, right? If you just sit there and tell yourself, quit thinking about that, just let it go, just quit thinking about it, does it work? You're still thinking about that spider. You can't will it out of your head because you're thinking about it in order to will it out. That's how we get to verse eight of Philippians chapter four. Paul says, I know I told you not to be anxious. I know you can't will these thoughts out of your head. And so he gives you a better way. Paul says, this is how you ultimately fight and conquer anxiety, not by white knuckling it away with your willpower, that's impossible, but by exchanging it for something holy. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, If anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Well, here's the first thing this verse guarantees. You can choose your thoughts. You can control your mind and what you think about. You can refocus on good. You can actively consider good things. Your mind does not have to run away with your head and take your heart with it and rule your spirit. You can control it. You can train your mind to focus on certain things. That's a lie so many of us have been told that we can't do that, and it's not true. This morning, some of you have been taken captive by your own runaway mind. It's time to reclaim yourself, and this is how. As we close considering this verse, I just want to brainstorm with you a little bit together about this exchange that Paul is describing in this verse. There's a lot of words here. There's a lot of adjectives. I want to kind of pick through this and take a look at how we can use it to fight our anxiety. The first thing is this word whatever that we see so many times. Whatever, whatever, whatever. Paul doesn't say focus on the opposite of what makes you anxious, right? He doesn't say if you're picturing anxiety about a topic, picture it going okay. That's not going to work because you're still thinking about the topic, right? He says think about whatever is true, anything that is lovely, 
whatever could possibly be admirable, think about that instead of thinking about what it is you're anxious about. So as we look at these adjectives, you can feel free to let your imagination run wild. There is so much more good and holy and beautiful things in this world than bad and evil and awful things in this world. And the antidote to anxiety is replacing anxious thoughts with anything that falls in these categories. You hear how powerful that is? The Bible says at the end there, think about such things. That word think is the same word as dwell, like living somewhere. Live in these thoughts. It's the same word as keep account of these things. Like you have a spreadsheet, like you have a ledger, and you say, okay, I saw something admirable today. I'm going to put that in my ledger and keep it and take it with me wherever I go. I started doing this, by the way, to deal with a lot of anxiety. This was a tip I got from someone that's helped me a lot. I have a note on my phone because if I write it down, I'll lose it. So I keep a note on my phone, and at the top, it's called my whatever journal. Whatever journal. Every time I find something, whenever I find something, whatever is true, I write it down in this journal. I have a note on my phone. Try this for a week. Try this for a week. Throw your future anxious self a life preserver and start writing down some things. Every time you notice something and say, that was lovely, try writing it down. And then when you, you fill your mind with that thing, revisit it all the time and dwell on it like the Bible tells you to, and you will start to notice the day at the beach replacing the spider. Let's talk through, I just want to talk through a couple of these as we close to help get the ball rolling and help you brainstorm. Let's start with the first one. Whatever is true. Whatever is true. Truth is the language of God, just like lies are the language of the devil. When you have anxious thoughts, here's what you do. Try this. Write down your anxious thoughts, capture them in words, and then demand evidence from them. Act like a lawyer cross-examining a hostile witness, okay? Take your anxieties one at a time. Don't let them gang up on you. Write them down in a list. Take them one at a time, isolate them, and then attack them with facts. Ask them questions and interrogate them to see if they're true. You don't get to choose which thoughts pop into your head, but you can choose which thoughts you listen to. Here's some thoughts you could interrogate that might pop into your head. You could ask, am I unworthy of love because I gained 12 pounds last year? Maybe that's an anxiety you feel that's been swirling around. Write it down. Does it look ridiculous when you write it down? Maybe that's all it takes. But interrogate it. Ask it. What makes somebody worthy of love? What would make me feel worthy of love? Question it. See if it's true. Am I a terrible parent because I forgot that one thing that was really important to my kid? Well, write it down and interrogate it. What makes a good parent? What was that one thing? Ask questions. Gather your evidence. How likely is it that this headache is the first sign of a life-threatening disease? Is this aspiration of mine realistic or am I just trying to escape from my current reality? Write it down. Ask it questions. Paul says focus on what is true. We know Jesus told us the language of the devil is lies and so many of us are carrying around lies like chains that we believe. Here are a few things that I've written down. In my whatever journal, I have a section called things that are true, whatever is true, and I write down things that are true under it. Here's a couple for me. So think about this. You can start writing your own. I wrote this, God loves me as much today as he ever will. I read that all the time and I think about it and it helps me stop trying to earn the love of God. Here's something else that's true. My feelings are real, but they're not always reliable. Simple, true. Here's another one. Sleep is for the smart. <laughs> I read that one all the time. That's helped me a lot. That'll change your life. Let's talk about another one. We don't have time to do all of them. Whatever is just, whatever is just. Yours might say right or righteous, your translation. It's the same word, whatever is just. I bring this up because we are all confronted every single day with massive global and national injustices. 
It feels like it's just been constant over the last few years. And people love to post about injustice and talk about injustice. Poverty, racism, an unfair judicial system, a corrupt government, gender inequality, on and on and on. And if you read the news, you sit with the injustice. It's biblical to want to fight against injustice. God hates injustice. He's a just God. But what if you spent as much time dwelling on whatever is just as you do dwelling on things that are unjust? If you're like me, you're tempted to just read stuff that confirms your anxiety about the injustice in the world. (laughs) I'll confess it. We all do. Make a section in your whatever journal about justice, about fairness, about things that turned out okay. Start looking for things that you can focus on when the injustices of the world start to pile on and you catch yourself carrying that weight wherever you go. Start to think about what's fair, what's just. That'll bring you closer to God and it'll start to replace your anxiety. Think about things that are good about this country, that are fair about our government. Think about times that bad people have gotten what they deserve and good people have gotten what they deserve and how God will judge the wicked at the end of time. Let yourself dwell on the justice of God, the righteousness of God, and it will start to overcome those anxieties that you feel about the injustices of the world. They're bad, they're real, they need to be fought, but they don't need to be your identity that you dwell on and the source of your anxiety. Whatever is pure. This is one that should be a whole sermon. I don't have time to elaborate on this, but I can't go past it without quickly talking about purity. If I could have a list, I think, of everybody in this room's top anxiety inducer, everybody just made a list of the top things that make you anxious, I bet a huge percent, a giant slice of the pie chart of people's top source of anxiety, if they were being honest, would be something like this. I'm anxious about what would happen if somebody finds out about my secret sexual impurity. If you're looking at porn, and 90% of college males and 60% of college females do this regularly, if you're surrendering your thoughts to lust for minutes a day, hours a day, if you're hiding any level of adultery, all of those secrets, I guarantee you, are fueling your anxiety like gasoline. If you're feeling any level of anxiety or depression in your life, and you're looking at porn or you're doing any of these things, I absolutely guarantee you they are linked. There is no question they are linked and your healing cannot begin until your addiction sees the light of day and you get help. Your healing is possible. It's guaranteed if you expose it to the light, bring in community, ask God for help. But if you're feeling anxious and you're hiding secrets, if you're hiding secret impurities instead of focusing on whatever is pure, that is fueling your anxiety. You might have deluded yourself and tricked yourself into thinking that because it's secret, it couldn't possibly be influencing you or because nobody knows it couldn't be making you anxious, but that's not true. That's a lie from the devil. And Paul says, focus on what is pure. Focus on what is pure. And if you're spending minutes or hours every day or every week focusing on what is impure, you're taking yourself away from God. You're fueling your anxiety. Let's end on this one. This is my favorite one. Whatever is lovely. I love this because the Bible says, focus your mind on beautiful things, things that are beautiful. Make a list, and I really encourage you to do this. If you think lists are cheesy, do it anyway. Make a list. Make a list of things that you find beautiful. You don't have to show it to anybody, whatever they are. Maybe it's a childhood memory that still makes you smile when you think about it. Maybe it's a scene from a movie. Remember, Paul says, whatever is lovely. Maybe a scene from a movie that you think is beautiful. Maybe a cloud you saw. Maybe the final score in that game last season that made you jump up and cheer. Maybe a line from a poem you read in high school. Whatever it is, anything that you think is lovely, write it down and dwell on it. 
because God wants your heart to dwell on beautiful things. And an antidote to anxiety is dwelling your heart on beautiful and lovely things. If you're anxious about certain topics in particular that you always return to, look at those topics and write down something beautiful about them. If you're anxious about your kids and the decisions that they'll make, write about beautiful times you've had with them when you saw them take their first steps or some of their first words or something funny they said or trips you went on together. And when you catch yourself rolling in that anxiety about your kids, go back to your list and look at beautiful things about them instead. How often do you spend, if you had to write it down in minutes and seconds, per day dwelling on lovely things in your heart? Do you do it as often as you dwell on the horrible things in the world? I mean, if we just had a ratio. How often do you think back on that car crash that you drove past a few years ago? How often do you think about that rare disease you read about or that evil thing you heard that somebody did on the news? Compare that to how often you think about the most lovely thing of all, Jesus Christ, your Savior, the one who loves you, the one who gave up control and peace, the one who made himself nothing, who became obedient to death on a cross, whom God exalted to the highest place. That is the most beautiful and lovely thing in the universe. Focusing your mind on that will start to heal you. It'll start to bring you back into the light. This week, think on such things. Pray and petition God with thanksgiving to help you exchange your anxious thoughts for holy thoughts. Dwell in safety and comfort in the everlasting peace of God, which transcends all understanding and which will guard our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. Amen. Had it not been the Lord who was on our side, had it not been the Lord who was on our side, the anger of the enemy would have swallowed us alive. Had it not been the Lord who was on our side, let's stand. Blessed be the Lord who would not give us up. Blessed be the Lord for his unfailing love. The snare is broken and we have escaped. Our help is in the name of the Lord. Blessed be the Lord. on our side, had it not been the Lord who was on our side, the waters would have engulfed us, we would have surely died, had it not been the Lord who was on our side, blessed be the Lord who not give us up. Blessed be the Lord for his unfailing love. The snare is broken and we have escaped. Our help is in the name of the Lord. Blessed be So thankful you've been here today. John Case, one of our shepherds, is going to come and word of prayer for us as we're dismissed. Uh, again, thankful for your presence, thankful to the Lord for his goodness and his love in our life. Um, we'll have a prayer and then just a, a blessing and we'll be dismissed. Um,
God, we love you. You're, you're an awesome God, our creator, giver of every good gift, so good. Um, we just want to give you our praise, and, and we want to give you our thanks. We could, we could just go on and on if we counted our blessings here, and our list would just grow and grow and grow. You've been so good to us. We don't want to take those things for granted. We give you thanks. We're grateful. And we do want to pray for, for troubles, for our world, for um, Ukraine. We pray for our, our nation's leaders. We pray for Christians across the world who are being persecuted and for uh, injustice. We pray for those who are grieving losses, lost, um, lost loved ones, lost lives, lost jobs, lost uh, relationships, uh, lost jobs. Um, we go through those things and we do grieve losses, but we do have hope and we won't lose our, our hope, our, our joy because of you, because you have given us so many great promises. We know that your mercies are new every morning, your faithfulness is great. All your promises to us are yes in Jesus, so we don't despair. We, we just look forward to what's to come and know the best is yet to be. And so, uh, Jesus, we, we love you. We look forward to your appearing when you will set everything right in a new heaven and a new earth, the home of righteousness. We pray in your name. Amen. And now the blessing that... Um, that God instructed Aaron to give to Israel. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord lift his countenance upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. Shalom and blessing in Jesus. Dismissed.